Voice of San Diego podcasts are sponsored by the Bob Nelson Charitable Fund, honoring the San Diego Harbor Police Foundation. Thanks for joining us on the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. My name is Scott Lewis. I'm the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego, joined by assistant editor Andrew Keats. What's up, my man? Hello. Managing editor Sarah Libby. Hello. And DJ Chica Eldis Fonseco. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? I'm fine. Living. Yeah. Living yeah. life. You were out scouting a fire in Chula Vista in the early, in the early a.m.? Yeah, so I live. I realized that I live a couple of blocks down from it, and I was just like, "Why not?" You know, it's a it's a Wednesday night. Why not go to a dangerous blaze? Yeah, exactly. I understand. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for doing it. I got some photos from that. Uh, all right. This uh, this this show <laughs> we're going to talk about a Politifest. It happened. I'm still obviously a little discombobulated from it, but it happened this weekend. It worked out great. Had a mayoral debate. Uh, first off, thank you to everyone who attended and everyone else who made it possible. Sponsors, uh, Sequan Banakumie Nation, all the different sponsors for the sessions. And especially, this just shout out, I know a lot of you are out there, listeners, uh, who were volunteers at the event. It's rad. So many volunteers. There was like 80, and they were awesome. And it's just so nice to work for a place that so many people want to come help on a, at an event like that. So thank you all. If you were one of them, you know who you are, and thank you. So we are going to share a handful of moments from the event uh, this weekend. Uh, not all. There's some really good ones. You, you'll want to listen to the mayoral debate, I think, for instance. It's in your feed. It was good and entertaining, even for uh, the, the amount of stress I was going through trying to get it ready. It was still a lot of fun. And um, and we're also going to discuss this big development in the transaction watch as we wait to see if it'll literally happen that San Diego State will take ownership of the land around and underneath the old Qualcomm Stadium. To say nothing of actually building it into something that people might be able to visit one day yeah. and care about. Yeah, I I think something well, for all you transaction fanatics out there, we're gonna, gonna we're going to get into the details. Transaction <laughs> watch is like the segment San Diego deserves. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so well, let's talk about that for a second. So, um, SDSU this week. Remember, not that long ago, SDSU and the city were having this fight because SDSU wanted to pay sixty eight point two million dollars for this land. And the city wanted them to pay like $18 million more because they said you should also pay for the construction of the park separately from the cost of this land. And this was a big like philosophical fight that broke my brain. And then SDSU this week just said, you're good. You're right. We're going to add almost $20 million to our offer. So my question is this. There's Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so – one way to read that is just that it was a very simple negotiation that played out in public, and SDSU met at San Diego's terms. Right. And the city of San Diego, I, I guess, if that in that perspective, should be commended for driving a hard bargain and getting what they want out of it. Right. Uh, the thing, though, is that SDSU like, was pretty aggressively 
defiant about the claims that the city of San Diego was making over this dispute about how this should be calculated? Yeah, intensely defiant. Like they they believed that this would be forcing them to pay twice. Right. It was it was, and it was like the tenor of it was like you should be ashamed of trying to shake down a university for this. Yeah, it was intense. And so it makes me think either A, SDSU really wants to get this transaction done. Yes. Or B, this was all my cynical side like this is this is all cooked up. They're like, let's set up something we can fight about. So that we can so, so that we can all like look like we came to a big compromise after that's just a Yeah. That's like, I mean I think that, that your first scenario makes some sense where if SDSU one is the one is the party here under some time constraints that right. they want to break ground early next year, like we're not going to hold this up at, for eighteen million. Dollars. Yeah, so they may still think that they're that they were ideologically correct in that dispute, but it wasn't worth. I guess, but then why like posture so intensely and then immediately flip? Yes, yeah, <laughs> I mean, more so. Right, they, they met the terms and then some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't the transaction have happened anyways since measure g no not necessarily no there's there is a world where for 20 years sdsu has the right to buy that land Uh but then never actually does like it's it's you know if they couldn't come to a deal or something like that's not guaranteed measure did not mandate a sale but i think that's part of the point like the the interesting thing is is like again a lot of people that are still saying look that land is 200 million dollars it's not 80 million or it's not 90 it's like 300 million it's so much money yeah see those people need to put a sock in it honestly because like there will always be some claim that the land is worth more than it's going but at some you have got to do something well i think i think that they got to do something eventually i think if they put the land up and put a for sale sign up there and said like every bidder in the entire world can come and offer us Money for this, like a, I don't know, like a request for proposals, Some, something so like we, that. We could call it. <laughs> yes, a request for yeah. p- proposals uh, or let's just for shorthand call it like an RFP. Yes, we so could have like a process. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah that might. That's like they it. should adopt yeah. that. And so, if they did that, there is a scenario I think you can picture where somebody comes and offers a couple hundred million dollars. I'm not sure that's that's out of the league. The point is that the voters said this land has to go to SDSU. It's like selling your house but only being able to sell it to one person. And then the second part is that there is going to be some identifiable public benefit to what that one person I, is going I, to do. I just find it also exhausting because, like, at the time that we were – so we have, we have this $80 million appraisal right now for the land. Yeah. And a year and a half ago, Soccer City, slightly different version of the land, was something around, like, $60 million. Yeah. yeah. And around a couple of years before that, the mayor had a task force that put it at like 200 million. Yeah. And around the same time as that, there were other people who were the flip side of the people you're talking about right. now who said, actually, it's worth zero dollars. Yeah, because it's so hard to do. There's so many liabilities. So, yeah. so like the range is anywhere from 0.0 dollars <laughs> to 300 million. Yeah. Like I'm done. I'm sick and tired of hearing about no, it. No, I get Stop, that. You know, like I I'm get done that. litigating the price of this land. And I'm sell it and build something on it. <laughs> there you go. All right. The second, <laughs> the second point though that's interesting is that this is a crucial moment for the city. This is the last time the city has say over what this land is, and I think that was exemplified by the labor leaders 
who went and said when this offer came forward, they went to city council and very clearly said, uh, hey, we were promised a deal out of this. And I think recognize that this was a moment where if the city is going to try to dictate what happens to this land or what it's like or what it's designed or how it benefits the community, that they wanted their piece included in that. Because once this does transfer to SDSU, no matter what sort of open process they have out of that, the real people they answer to are the trustees of the California State University system, not the voters around here. Yeah, to be more specific, local governments cannot mandate things of state government agencies. Right. And SDSU will be an arm of the state at that point. Right. And so I think what's really interesting to watch now is like, okay, so if we handle, like you said, we're sick of the transaction cost issue, Mm -hmm. maybe some details need to get handled. There is still this discussion of like, okay, have they really outlined the design? the attributes, the different ways this is going to work. And so uh, labor uh, made it clear they want a giant project labor agreement for the whole site. And what also seems to be coming clear is about 80% of the site is going to be developed by private developers and 20% set aside for the university's needs. But none of that will be built at, at the very least in the first ten years. Right, and so now, does that twenty percent include the stadium? I, I was wondering that. I'm not entirely clear. I think so. Yes, you think the, it does include the stadium? I do. Yeah. Okay. And so um, I'll clarify next week if it's not true. But that's uh, uh, and so I think then what labor, you know, one of the things labor is really good at is recognizing these leverage points in public discussion. Right, these moments where they need to try to get something for their members out of it. Yes. And um, and so I, I, my advice to everybody was just like, if if labor sees that, you might follow their lead. Like when you're surfing and you see somebody like start paddling out, you're like, oh, I need to probably paddle out too, even if I don't see the wave that's coming. Like that's the same kind of thing. Like there's a moment here coming that if you want to get something out of this project, like you better start paddling. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that labor's interests here have revealed is the, the abstract discussion about what, how, Friends of SDSU related to San Diego right. State University is no longer an abstract debate that has right. suddenly become quite real because SDSU has simply said that we are not bound by any promises made by Friends of SDSU. Right, and and uh, the measure commits them to, to pay like prevailing wage right. for um, the part of the project that the university developed, but there's a eighty percent of it that might be exempted from that. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, watch that. We'll s- Transaction Watch is now uh, launched. <laughs> <laughs> Full effect. <laughs> All right, PolitiFest. So uh, we had a good time. The, the discussion of the mayor's debate, I think, was uh, obviously the highlight. We put it at the end. There's a lot to talk about there. There's a lot of other uh, sessions during the day. So let's jump into a moment at the, at the uh, mayor's debate. Uh, Todd Gloria was up there, Assemblyman Todd Gloria. He was. Uh, uh, he hasn't actually had to talk about something that we wanted to ask him about. He had been at Politifest in 2016 as a supporter on stage of Measure A, and um, uh, you know that obviously went down in flames in part because of a scandal that we uncovered that started two years of turmoil and reform at the agency. And so, you wanted to ask him specifically about whether he regrets that, right? Yeah, but I think that the 
question I had for him was whether he thought as a as a board member and as a public champion of this, whether he had done felt like he had done enough to vet the proposal and more than that, to vet the underlying finances at the agency, uh, which ended up being instrumental in whether that measure would have done what they said it would have it was going to do. Do you, do you think as a board, you specifically and the board as a whole, was acting in their official capacity to oversee the agency as well as they should? Well, clearly there was room for improvement. And I think that what the, the challenge with Sandag, and yes, I was very engaged there because I'm passionate about transportation and mobility and trying to give San Diegans freedom of choice when it comes from getting from A to B, because right now you basically have one choice and it's a car. And if we're gonna be a great community with a vibrant economy, we need to give more choices. But to your question, my observation about the challenge with Sandag is that it has got a budget that's roughly equal to the size of the city of San Diego's general fund, and yet it's elected officials' sort of part-time gig. You know, this is what you do uh, every other Friday in the morning for a couple of hours, and the vast majority of the people are not uh, folks like Barbara and I who have full-time staffs that can help us look at this stuff. And so you really have created a circumstance where there's a tremendous amount of resources being minded by uh, folks who don't spend as much time. So... Um that's an interesting point, right? Like that, and the idea is this is a giant agency handing out tons of money, and there's not a lot of oversight. But to his point, isn't he one of those people who who had the staff uh, to be able to be kind of examining these things closely? At and that point, Andy's, he was council and, president, right? Uh, he was just a councilman. But there was the concession that Sherry Leitner had made to become council president was that he would be the, the still the Sandag rep. But yeah. Yeah, but I just mean. Yes. No, you're right. You're to right. his point, if anyone was in a position to scrutinize things, it would have been somebody like him who had more resources than, say, like the mayor of Santee or whatever. Yeah, the two biggest champions for Measure A that were on stage with us at Politifest 2016 were uh, Todd Gloria and Supervisor Ron Roberts, both of whom did have full staffs. So while it's true that often the board doesn't have the their own uh, you know, sort of staffing muscle to go to push back against Sandag staff. In this case, you know that that didn't seem to be the problem with either with right. either Todd or or Ron. Well, that, and we brought brought this up in part also because it had an impact later in the debate. We wanted to ask all the candidates up there if they supported the MTS plan to raise sales taxes for transit, and you know it's something we've been asking a lot of people. And it was Council President Georgette Gomez's top priority, right? Like she's made that clear as she was chair of MTS. She's no longer chair. So we asked all three and the specter, the sort of memory of Measure A came up in Barbara Bree with her answer. I do not support it at this time. In 2016, um, the voters defeated Measure A, which if it had passed, and Mr. Gloria did support it, if it had passed, we would have been building all the wrong things. I think this is a really interesting point, because if you remember, uh, after Measure A kind of crashed and burned, they had to create legislation to allow these smaller transit agencies to raise their own taxes, which is what MTS is now trying to do. And so for Barbara Bree to be saying, it still doesn't matter, you know, trust is still an issue because of this overarching Sandag scandal, I thought was a really interesting. Yeah, in fairness to everybody involved, I mean, MTS and Sandag are different agencies. Yes. It's, it's uh, pretty harsh, I think. I mean, they, 
they're they're different measures and they're different agencies. Well, it's it's uh, it's honestly a kind of a, a a thing you might expect from a more conservative or Republican attack. Somebody on this, who's like, generally anti-transit, right? Say, that, that's the connective that, tissue. Exactly. That this world of transit advocates has lost our trust, right? And thus doesn't deserve that support. And for her to take that, it, it, I think it, it's a kind of an ominous sign for the effort in general. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think especially. Um, if if it ends up being the case that Barbara Bree is one of two mayoral candidates on the ballot in November, a ballot that they share with MTS, the prevailing wisdom is that um, you really can't have any dissent in a uh, tax measure that's going for 66%. I mean, even if you think of her as an underdog, it still seems like her op- her public opposition to that measure would be really bad news for it passing. Yeah, and, and remember our last live podcast in Chula Vista yeah. with, with Mayor Salas. The, Mayor Salas of Chula Vista, she was also iffy on it. She wasn't she wasn't against like as clearly as Barbara was, but she hasn't committed yet. Yeah, they could shore up support, I think, but uh it doesn't I yeah. I mean if if the idea is you need to have at the very least your basis of support you know, built into the to to the system. Yeah, and I mean, you you add on top of that the fact that Georgette Gomez now has shifted her priorities. She's no longer going to be the chair, um, and this was her kind of signature thing that she wanted to get done. Now she's obviously running for Congress. There's a lot, you know, possibly working against it. Yeah, and Supervisor Fletcher has you know decided to pick up that that torch and run with it, and so you know may, maybe it can. Uh, get its legs back under it at, at some point, but I, I don't think that these are good signs for that measure. Not at all. It, it feels like it's almost morphing into a effort that, like, well, it's nice to be able to talk about transit for a year and set us up for success in the future, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, uh, we'll see if that is indeed the the uh, direction. I should I should also add as another piece of the, what's going on here is these debates at Sandag about transit and whether that you know the transit spending is necessarily a um, necessarily takes money from the rural parts of the county or the north county parts of the county that's i think just being in the news is all not great for the the measure as well all right well speaking of which we had another discussion earlier in the day with the county supervisor candidates we and i kind of broke one of my rules i, I don't like to have more than four people on a panel um, there were several. We had uh, representatives uh, running for District 2, District 1, and District 3 on the County Board of Supervisors. And we talked about some of those conservative voices who were out there. Well, one of them was Joel Anderson. We asked him about transit and transit versus highway priorities and stuff like that. And he, uh, the panel was uh, a little bit of a quieter one until this moment. We made a promise. I didn't. Sandag did. That in 2004, if we bought the, if we paid for those bonds, that we would get road improvements. That compromise has continued to fail us. It's not funding the roads. It's not giving us the money back. We're still paying for the Grand Trolley Station, that nobody in East County is going to benefit from. Now I will tell you there is one thing uh, in there that I think is absolutely fantastic. As we finish the trolley to UTC, North County or Nor- La Jolla is going to learn what homeless really is meant because everybody who's homeless in El Cajon can get on the trolley now, head up there and uh, 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 panhandle for more money. Okay. This is, there's a lot in there. It, he's, I, is he saying 
facetiously that yes. he thinks it's fantastic? Yes. That the, the yes. No, I think he's. I, the, hold on for a second. <laughs> I think he's actually saying he's excited that they're going to have to see homeless people. I think he's he's that saying they're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, I think he's saying like. But I think it's still facetious. I, I, I he wishes that this project wasn't happening. I know he's like, but he's like, he's like dunking on it. Yes, and he's it's dragging. Like, own he's owning the libs, the libs. by yes. own the libs making by look- them deal with panhandlers. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yes, he's he's saying all the limousine liberals of of La Jolla who have got on board with this stupid transit yeah. hoax are going to get a taste of what the rest of us live with and their rich little coastal enclave will be overrun by homeless people. Yeah, you said only homeless people use transit. You were like, there, right? Like, the- yeah, I was in the audience and I was kind of, you know, looking at my phone and whatnot and then it was like the record scratch. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Yeah, uh, Sophia Rodriguez, who's running for uh, District 1 on the, on the county supervisor, she uh, took her next question and said, hold on, like... I have a, to respond. To a that. kind of like, how dare you moment. And then he I said, mean, it's very offensive to lots of different constituency groups. Yeah. And, and, and he, in his defense, came back and what did he say? Like, I was homeless once. Did you? Yeah. He was like trying to say, you know, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not disparaging the homeless. You know, I, I was there. It was, it was quite a wake up moment, like you said, for the whole debate. All right, thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast on News Radio 600 Coco. Get the full show every week because we're going to keep talking and you're not going to get to hear that because you're not listening to the full show. You can get that wherever you listen to podcasts. So find a podcast app on your phone and search for Voice of San Diego in that app or go online to vosd.org slash pod. I am Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief. Andrew Keats is Assistant Editor, Sarah Libby is Managing Editor, and we will talk to you next week. Do you listen to this show every week? Then help ensure it's here to stay. You can do that by including Voice of San Diego in your estate plan. Call Iris Magid for more details at 619-550-5664. Thank you for supporting the future of investigative journalism in San Diego. We are back. We have not talked a lot on this show, if at all, about two big measures that will be on the March ballot. Uh, one of them, this week, a bevy of community leaders came out and launched a campaign against the so-called SOS initiative. That measure would try to stop sprawling housing developments in unincorporated areas of the county. So right now, if a project that you want to build, a bunch of houses you want to build, if that conforms to the county's general zoning plan, where homes in the unincorporated areas should be, according to the plan, you can get a permit. It might be a hassle, but you can get a permit, right? Mm-hmm. If the housing project you want to build does not conform to the plan, you've got to take it all the way to the Board of Supervisors, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so there are a ton of these projects out there, right? There's a, uh, several thousand units being proposed in different parts of the unincorporated area of the county. Some and of it, them have been proposed for decades now, like dating back to when they put the plan in place. Okay, so they, uh, if, if they are to get... Approved, they'd have to go to the county supervisors. But what this measure would do is say that if you're not part of the plan, six houses or more not part of the plan, you need to get a vote of the entire county to approve it, correct? Correct. 
All right, that's the SOS initiative. So there's a bunch of business types and others coming out against it. And that campaign against it uh, uh, was launched this week. We remember we had Nathan Fletcher on here a few weeks ago. He's a county supervisor. And he said that while he understands and supports in concept this idea, like. And actually, I would say, gave a pretty well articulated argument in favor of it. Right. He a, said. A pretty comprehensive argument about the, the logic behind it. He said. No, I don't support it, but you, you can't give that power to voters or you shouldn't give that responsibility to voters or burden. Or I think it was more similar, but we elect officials to make these decisions. And we should we should remember the principles that are behind this initiative and make decisions accordingly, but yeah. not, not just hand over the job. Yeah. So He's saying, let me reject it and not the voters. Right. Basically, yeah. So Fletcher supports Olga Diaz, the Escondido City Councilwoman for... Uh, county supervisor in that District 3 race, which is just hot. It's going to be very hot. Uh, Kristen Gaspar is a Republican incumbent. She supported one of those uh, controversial plans, the New and Sierra Project, and that effort will also be in the March ballot. Um, and Olga is also running against uh, Tara Lawson-Reamer. So Olga came to PolitiFest. She was on that panel with Joel Anderson, and we asked her about SOS, and I frankly was kind of surprised about her response. I support it. Uh, the city of Escondido has something similar in place. It's called Prop S. It was passed two decades ago. And essentially what it does is it freezes the general plan, the general plan that was devised with community input, agreed to in terms of zoning and density and all of the different types of land uses that we have in our city. And then it was voter approved. And then after the voters approved it, it's frozen. So if there's going to be a significant change, that's when the public would then be asked again if they approve of that change. That was that, that's the first sort of high profile endorsement I've heard of SOS. Yeah, although I th I suspect that Tara Lawson Reamer feels sure. the same way. But she just wasn't at political. She wasn't at political. She wasn't on that panel. Uh, and if she has publicly said that she supports SOS, I I missed it. Email me and I'll correct this on on next week as well. But uh, I'm just looking at I, I get emails from from far too many candidates tara lawson reamer last week in an email titled take a hike um made a uh, a point of saying how important it is that we stop sprawl uh in one this week titled wildfires she made the same case and said that sprawl projects are the direct result um of the agenda champ championed by uh trump and his cronies like Kristen gaspar um so i don't think that this is going to be a different differentiating issue on the democratic side of that debate mm -hmm. uh necessarily that maybe remains to be seen I'm, i might be imputing too much from tara's emails um but it is but it is interesting nonetheless because somebody like nathan fletcher who would otherwise be on board with them i think and and kind of had like we said a well articulated reasoning on on why this measure makes some sense nonetheless opposed it well, the campaign against the SOS thing, they, they contacted us afterward, and they were upset because they think she, um, Olga Diaz's point was that we've still been able to build homes even though this restrictions there for, for plans that don't conform to the general plan of the city. And their point was like, well, yeah, Escondido's far behind, though. It's state targets. You can't really say it's building homes the way it should be. So uh, there's going to be now, some of that. Which is true of literally every city <laughs> yeah. in California. Well, this, this except Lemon Grove. 
This is a fascinating uh, debate because not even hyper, wait, it's not even hyperbole. Just back up a bit. What yeah. area would she be representing if she were to win the seat? So the the district stretches from like Encinitas and Solana Beach all the way over to Escondido. So she. This uh, is District One. Yes, three. three. This is District Three. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a. Uh, th- this this SOS thing is really interesting to me. They're using so much rhetoric that is like an urbanist rhetoric. Yeah. Like we the sprawl that's the problem is not these projects. It's the sprawl in Riverside County, mm-hmm. and our projects stop that from getting worse. Yeah. There's also a uh, sort of, I guess I would say it is progressive minded uh, argument that they've made around the idea of, of having somebody's it reminds me of the Barrio Logan debate. Yeah. That they're, they're saying it is unfair that these people in their direct local community are having decisions about what's happening near them made by the entire County. And yet the person they trot out most, and, and she was uh, also in favor of that Lilac Hills proposal, yes. is Mary yes. Salas, the yes. Chula Vista mayor Mary. of Chula Vista. And so, you know, she's being brought out to make the case for housing developments in the far north part. Of the yeah, county. there are some in the South Bay. There are some yeah, on like Otay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's hard to think of a measure where there's like such strange bedfellows and you can't reliably predict how someone might land on it based on their political affiliation. Right. Like yes. the deputy sheriffs are like listed prominently as anti-SOS. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so debate. So there's always position on that. Watch for that to maybe heat up, um, you know, or the consequences from it to heat up in the actual uh, runoff election uh, for the county supervisor seat. All right. So I, I, <laughs> I asked about scooters at the debate for the mayor's race. Your first mistake. Well, <laughs> we were in the I, I think there was a, I think it, your tongue seemed planted firmly in your cheek. Yeah, I mean. And I don't think that that has been adequately recognized in the response. I, I, it seemed that the entire premise of the argument stipulated that it was absurd we were talking about scooters. I, I, and the response was, hey, asshole. It's absurd that we're talking about scooters. <laughs> I didn't think that it was a hey asshole at Scott. Yeah. I thought just, I mean, like, for better or worse, we are talking about scooters yeah. all the time. And I think, you know, Barbara Bria has made it a centerpiece of her campaign. Um, there was, so. uh, there, yes, you, I, that, if, that's fair. You're if fair. you listen to the, to the audio from the debate, she is by far her most animated when she's talking about the scooters, like she was fired up and you know, there was like, like her main, it, it all boiled down. She's like, I want to make them ride or wear helmets and be safe. And, and it was like, I don't think that's being completely honest. I think you want to make them ride, wear helmets because you know, they won't. And therefore scooters will stop being a thing. But it, I yeah, know. I mean, I think it's uh, kind of a tactic that people deploy in a lot of situations where they don't want to just say, I don't like this and I don't want it to exist. And I think the same is true for things like Airbnb, where you say, 
that we should, you know, ban vacation rentals because they cut into the housing market. Oh, okay. So you want to build more housing? Well, no. Right. So right. I think it's the same deal where it's like, you know, we're just out there for their safety and we want them to be safe and wear helmets. Okay, so if they all wear helmets, you're fine with thousands of scooters on the street? Well, no. Probably not. And so <laughs> I do think you're right, though, that like, and you can see this with a lot of candidates who's in a, a campaign that covers a breadth of issues. Right. Everyone's more comfortable in some areas than others. And usually when like they get a question that's in their wheelhouse, they like light up and that's yeah. the thing that comes easier to them and they can, they know well, that's they what can, she said. She said, Oh, well, you know, I feel about scooters. Yeah. yeah she, right. Right. And you, and you, the candidate just kind of feels more comfortable then because they know they can parry whatever their can, their opponent says there, because this is something that they they're well prepared on. And it is funny for that to be something that I, I think seems minor to most people. Yeah. Well, that's what makes the, clip that we're about to share so kind of brilliant is it's taking something that's one candidate's like passionate issue that they're really comfortable on and like pivoting to the other yeah so tasha williamson was on the um, debate stage with us the activist um and you know she she really um added some uh, valuable different perspective to this debate people have more passion about scooters and bikes than they do people's lives um and i think um for me uh, you open the door uh, to have all these businesses operating in our city uh, without our permission, without us being at the table, um, without even thinking of regulations. And, you know, from the state to the city to the county, all over, um, they don't regulate. They open the door, they open their wallets. Uh, you know, there's there's people that are being bought and sold um, for big business and millions of dollars is being made. People's lives are at stake. And we are talking literally about scooters and bikes so passionately, but I can't even get police officers to stop killing our people. You know, normally mayoral debates are pretty broad and wide ranging and you know you might have somebody like Barbara Bree who shines on scooters and somebody like Tasha Williamson who shines when talking about police violence and so I was really interested to see how Tasha would perform in a setting that was you know these issues that aren't necessarily like her passion projects um, and so to see her be able to make those kinds of pivots I thought was really fascinating well, but she also indulged the argument right like oh, yeah. she said like definitely you're, she's like we should be talking about other things but also this is another symptom of of a lack of you know care about these businesses kind of run amok yeah so it's not a pro scooter argument no it's not like yeah, this not is it's all. not like who cares it's like yeah you write regulations before you let these companies come in right. yeah, yeah well, I mean was, the other part of it that I think is interesting there that she, that she introduces into that is is bikes which uh -huh. uh she doesn't say explicitly but but i took to mean bike lanes yeah like why we're arguing about uh, a protected bike lane here or there and presumably she would say that the same thing holds true that that's a that's a minor issue relative to this issue that i've i'm dealing with which is police officers uh, officer involved shootings mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that was politifest it was fun thank you for your help yeah, um, it happened. It did happen, and it's uh, getting better. And it, it was an off year. It wasn't an election year, and it was packed. Um, next year, we're going to have mayor's race, Congress, city councils. There's going to be a presidential election. There's a lot going on for 2020, 
and I'm I'm stoked to have uh, built this up to take advantage of it. Yeah, I would walk around the rooms, and there would be people sitting on the floor because that's how packed the rooms. Yeah, are. and so. the 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 community panels, the homeless track that was fascinating. There was the opening homeless panel uh, had um, uh, uh, Dennis, his name's Reed, right? Uh, Steve. Stephen Reed. Yeah, mm-hmm. he spoke as a homeless man, and there was you could hear a pin drop in the room. It was uh, it was just very moving his stories about encountering police he said he had for instance he had a great experience actually with all police except that they wouldn't let him sleep you know and and the the dichotomy of like how hard that is to to literally be not allowed to sleep and then how hard that gets and how hard it is on your your body and be able to function it was just a really uh, moving moment. So if you have a chance to listen to any of the clips that come up, check out the site. Also check out the mayoral debate uh, on, the, on the feed that you're listening to the podcast on. And uh, thanks again to everybody who helped make it possible. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast. It is the most popular political affairs podcast recorded in downtown San Diego. And if you listen to us every week, you probably would like our newsletters. We have a lot to choose from. You can pick your favorites at vosd.org slash newsletters. I am Scott Lewis, CEO and editor-in-chief. Andrew Keats is assistant editor. Sarah Libby is managing editor. And this show this week was produced by DJ Chica Adriana, Hey John, and Megan Wood. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>